Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu Malik Ha'alam. No, that's not an unknown tongue, and no, I'm not ISIS. I know some of you are like, I knew his beard was getting longer. What's he doing up there? Uh, no, this is the opening phrase of the Hebrew uh, a Passover Seder. Uh, and, and the phrase means, uh, blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe. Uh, the Passover, and that's what, we're, that's what we're looking at in the scriptures in Exodus 12 today. The Passover uh, is God pulling his people beginning to do the final plague on Egypt to bring his people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. They had been enslaved for 400 years uh, and, and, um, and God is about to, to bring them out. Now this Passover celebration is something that has been celebrated among the Jewish people for 3,700 years. And this is the phrase that they, they continue with to start with uh, even up to today for, for Jewish people today. And so we're gonna look at the first 13 uh, verses of this thing and specifically the first 13 verses are the introduction to it's like t God is telling them what to do how to how to prepare for the Passover next week we're going to talk about them observing the Passover in verses 14 through 28 uh, and and so that's kind of where we're heading the next couple weeks uh, but we're, we're really examining the Passover here and um, Exodus 12 is one of the most uh, well-known uh, chapters in all the scripture because of the, the Passover. The Passover plays a huge, significant role to the Old Testament in uh, the celebration of the Passover and what it meant for God's people, but also what it means in Christ on the cross. It is the ultimate foreshadowing, the, the ultimate pointing to the redemption of Jesus, the gospel, and what he has accomplished on the cross. And it's not it's not arbitrary, it's not accidental. Everything God does in the Passover is showing us even uh, years and decades, centuries past of how he was going to redeem his people all along. It was the precursor to his great redemption plan of us out of our sin. And so we're going to see that throughout this thing. We're going uh, to see how Jesus uh, uh, frees us from our slavery of sin in, in, to walk with him in life and peace and righteousness and all those kinds of things. And, and, and we're going to see uh, why this passage is so important. Uh, Moses the first nine plagues, he kind of he kind of rolls on through, right? He hits them and flying. He's, he's at a he's at a fast pace rolling through them. He's like, okay. Then there were frogs, and then there was there was hell, and then there was all this, and then there was this, and then he gets to the tenth plague, and he kind of slows it on down. Uh, I remember when I graduated high school, my grandmother her, her graduation present to me was to. Uh, do this two-week whirlwind of the nation. So we're, we're going to all these different places. We're going to, you know, San Francisco, L.A., Vegas, which at 18, what are you doing? You play the arcade, right? That's lame. Uh, so we're going through it, and then we get to the Grand Canyon, and we just kind of stop because it's not like all the other places we've been. It, it really, we, we stop, we stay the night, we soaked it in, we watched the sun set, we watched the sun rise. We really took in the majesty that was the Grand Canyon. I think that's exactly what Moses is doing here. He's been flying by all these other things and he's like, all right, let's settle in for a minute because you need to get how majestic and amazing the Passover is. So he's slowing down. He, he, he's, he's beginning to pump the brakes so that we can understand and see how impactful and amazing that this 
this, uh, this Passover is and how, how much it should mark our lives. And, uh, and so that's what's happening. That's where we're going. So if you'll read with me in the first two verses. It says, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Now, let me stop there for a minute. Uh, so God is saying that the Passover, the Exodus is so important and, 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 and it's, it's how you'll mark the first uh, days of your year. It's going gonna, it's gonna to mark their new calendar from now on. It's going to be their new year. So the Passover will determine when their year begins. It's going to be the start, the beginning of, of the new year for the rest of the days so that they will always be reminded of all that God had done in the Passover, in the Exodus. Now, uh, if you know our new year, if you're like me, you get to the new year and you make New Year's resolutions. Some of you have just given up on resolutions and I applaud you. So, so I just can't do that. I, I, I still make them just so I can break them. I don't know why. It's like, all right, I'm really gonna get that 10 pounds off this year, right? And, uh, and so we're, we're maybe next year. Uh, but anyway, you get to the, the new year and, and uh, you, you, it's, real, it's real nostalgia for you. you. You're reflecting on the last year. You're hopeful for the year to come. Uh, and, and this is exactly what happens with the Jews and, and the Israelites. When they come to the Passover, they come to celebrate Passover. It's very, uh, uh, even to today, they, it's very special to remember what God had done. It's very special to remember and think about what God is going to do. So God set in motion this importance of the calendar for them. Now, uh, the, the month is around Around uh, end of March, beginning of April, uh, now the, the Israelites didn't initially name their months. That was named for them when they went into Babylonian captivity. So the month in which they called Nisan, uh, not the plant here, uh, it's, got two S, it's got one S as opposed to two. Uh, and so, so it, it was named Nisan when they were in Babylon captivity. And uh, it's, it's March, April, uh, around that time. Now, uh, Easter and Passover celebrate at the same time, and it's based on the lunar calendar. So that's why it shifts. That's right. You're like, why can't they just nail Easter down? Like, put it at the end of March and be done with it, right? Why is it late in the beginning of April? And you're like, man, I wanted to get it away from my kids' spring break. Some of you are like, I wanted it to all be there. I want them to go back to school as quick as possible, right? Like, all that kind of stuff. And so that's why it moves, because it's based on a lunar calendar. And, uh, and, and, and so that's why it moves for us uh, again today. Uh, now, I think it's important to realize here. So he's marked the calendar. He, he, he's, he set the date. They will always remember it as long as they go. But here's the thing about the Israelites. Uh, they didn't have a five-day-a-week, 40-hour-a-week work week. Uh, they didn't have uh, the weekend. Right? They didn't have two weeks paid vacation. They didn't have, all right, I'm going to get home by five so I can eat dinner with my family. There was none of that. It was you work seven days a week, sun up, sun down, slaves. So uh, they, in reality, may have had no real sense of time. Now, even their seasons in Egypt, you had two seasons. You had hot and you had hell. And so those were your two seasons. And, uh, and so they, very, you know, we got, we're blessed with four seasons, praise the Lord, but, you know, they didn't. And so very realistically, the Israelites probably had no real sense of time in like, what month is this? What day is this? When are we doing this? When, you know, they just, every day they got up, they went to work, they uh, making bricks, building buildings, doing the work of the Egyptians. And they very realistically 
uh, th this was a whole new thing for them. For them to even have a calendar marked by anything was a whole new beginning for them. Uh, and, and again, showing us the grace of God to take care of his people. Like he's not just going to leave them out there. He's going to take care of every detail uh, for them. And so... Uh, so I, I think for us to, I think there's great applica application in this because what God is doing when he's marking the calendar with this, with this thing of worship and how he continued to mark the calendar as you get into more of the, the, the law he gave them and then Deuteronomy, which means the second law and all these different things, uh, he's, he's putting great significance on their worship. Uh, he's putting great significance on their, their worship and, and even the calendar uh, lends itself to how they should worship and in what manner they should worship and on what days they should worship. <coughs> now, this is significant, I think, for us and great application for us too because God has done the same thing for us. Now, we have, you know, the, the Jews celebrate the Sabbath on the Saturday. We celebrate on Sunday because that's when Christ rose from the grave is on Sunday. That's why it's shifted to the Sunday. But Sunday is the beginning of the week for us. It is how God has designed our week to go so that we would begin the week worshiping the Lord, praising him, he has sovereignly worked it out so that this could be the start of how our week is founded on. Uh, and, and it should be a, a seriousness. There should be a seriousness to us in our worship. Uh, there should be a, a level of commitment from us in our worship and, and all those types of things. And, and so that th this time, this gathering time, this 1030 slot that we're in right now would be a, a, a piece of value to us. But, but not just to, so we can come sit in the seat, but we have to actually engage in worship of God and that the day lends itself to worship of God. Even if that's eating with your family, you eat in the worship of God. If that's taking a nap, you nap for Jesus. You, you know, all the day lends itself to, you know, I got a couple amens. And, amen, that's what I'm talking about. Uh, it, whatever you do lends itself to this worship of Christ, but specifically that a congregational worship, and we're going to see this in a minute, would be held in high esteem, that we would commit to. It's not a convenience thing. It, it's a commitment thing. It's a family thing. It's a congregational thing, and we're going to see, uh, we're going to see some of that in a minute, that the Lord uh, really is ask, asking them and, and commanding them to take their worship seriously. Uh, okay, so let's read on, 3 through 11. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of the month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of the persons. According to what each can eat, you shall make your, your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the litno of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head and its legs and its inner part, and you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened and your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It's the Lord's Passover. Okay, so 
God has given very specific instructions uh, and, and preparation for the, the, the celebration of Passover. Moses uh, uh, says to tell all the congregation. Now, this word congregation is the first time it's used in Exodus. Uh, and, and specifically, it, can, it, it, it means community or gathering. Uh, this particular instance could also mean representatives because there, there were a couple of million Israelites at the time. So Moses didn't have you know, Instagram or Facebook Live, right? So he, he's like, all right, some representatives and you go spread the word. Uh, and, and so uh, he was telling them uh, uh, what to tell the people. Now, uh, the, the word congregation is important because it signifies that God is not just redeeming Israel, though he is redeeming Israel. He's not just redeeming them. He's also making them a people. He's making them a community. He's making them a family. So they're not just a, a, a redeemed people. They are a people that are identified with their redemption. So they, they are a family. They are one. They are a unit. They are exiting as a congregation, as one. And so they're not simply an ethnic group any longer, but they're a community, a congregation shaped by uh, their, their rescue, their redemption. In the New Testament, this word is called ecclesia, uh, which, just, which means church or community. <coughs> and again, the church is important. The church is, is, it's not like a Gold's membership, right? Where you pay 10 bucks and you can go or you cannot go, right? Like I, 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 I'm, a, I'm a devout member of Gold's Gym in which I, you know, I gave them a lot of money and, uh, you know, I drive past there every now and then. And I say, hey, there's my gym. Ah, looks like they're doing stuff in there. I'll check them out later. You know, uh, that's why my New Year's resolutions stink, right? Uh, but anyway, so it's not like it goes, Jim. It's not like that. It's it's a it's a it's a higher level of community. It's a higher level of family and commitment and and uh, and unity uh, with each other. Now, I think in our culture, it's imperative for me to speak to this for a couple of reasons. Uh, when I was in Thailand, when I, when I was pastoring in Thailand, this wasn't an issue. Um, uh, church culture things were not an issue because there were very few churches. There were, there were five times more prostitutes than Christians in Thailand. So church culture wasn't really a thing. It's, there were very few Bible-believing, gospel-centered churches. Uh, here, that's not the case. You can go every 0.2 miles and smack a church. Uh, there are churches everywhere. So we have to deal with what our culture lends itself to. And I want to give you a couple of warnings. Uh, the first one is, again, just the high value of this time, of, of congregating, of coming together with other believers and, uh, and joining together in worship. As researchers now are saying that if someone comes to your church one to two times a month, then they are the committed. They are the core. They are the ones that are a part of the church. Uh, and I would say, man, I, I think for us, it is important for us to even, even further raise. Now, are we going to miss church every now and then? Yes, I missed a couple weeks ago. You know why? Because my toes were in the sand, right? Uh, I, was, I was at the beach. I wasn't here, you know? And so you're going to miss sometimes. But uh, my hope, would we, we would be a people that, I'll give you an example. For my family, church is going to take high priority. If something comes, and, and not just because it's my job, even before it was my job. It takes high priority. So if there's something that rises up and it's like church or this, church or this, I'm not that the answer is always church. Sometimes uh, God leads you to certain other ministries or certain other things. Uh, but 
it should still have high value. There should at least be some consideration, right? There should at least, should I go hiking or should I go to church? Ah, hiking, right? No, there should at least be some, wow, oh, guys, it, it, it's, it's my time. It's my time to worship with my family. It's my time to congregate and be with the body. Uh, and so that's a church culture issue that we have stemming in our deal, that it's like, uh, it's, all right, if I check it off once a month, then I'm good to go. No, uh, this is a part of a community that you are a part of that you are dearly missed when you're not in it, and so fight to be in it. Uh, another warning for us, and, not, and especially for millennials, not just for millennials, but I can kind of say, I can play both cards. I was born in 82, so I think the cutoff is like 80, and so I can be like, yeah, I'm in, when, it, when it's convenient, I'm in the millennial crowd. When it's not, I'm like, them jokers. You know, what's wrong with them, right? They don't, they, they don't work or nothing, you know, freeloaders. They, you know, I can, I can play both sides, uh, but I, so I know how I I grew up and I know kind of my tendency so I can speak to some some of that but it's sexy for us to be involved in multiple churches even that we won't commit to one we're going to go to this worship because it's better than that worship and we're going to go hear this preacher because he's better than that preacher and we're going to go to this bible study because we really need to be a part of this group and we're going to go do this with this body and so I, I don't have one church I've got four churches look at me isn't that awesome no it's not awesome it's unhealthy It's unhealthy because I'm going to tell you some reasons it's unhealthy. One, uh, when you were dating, did you ever try to date two girls? That didn't go so well if you did, right? You know, it doesn't go well, right? There's all, like, there's different commitments. Oh, I was supposed to be there. I can't keep up, right? Listen, when you're part of a commitment, when you're part of a family, you dive all in, right? And and spiritually speaking, biblically speaking, God has assigned the local bodies to watch over your souls. So who then watches over your souls? Who then is accountable for you and shepherding you? Four churches? Do you have one? And so you can see the danger uh, in that. And then it's just, uh, it's, it's, uh, us millennials, we make fun of consumeristic Christians when we do it all ourselves. We just, when we buy into it really ourselves, because we're like, okay, this one meets my need and this one meets my need and this one here meets my need. And if that stops meeting my need, then I'm going to come over here to here because then maybe my need will get met there. And if they kind of like get mad at me for this, then I'm going to go over here. Even now, some of you are thinking, fine, I'm never coming back here again. I'm going to go where they never talk to me like this. You know, like all these different things, right? And so it's, it's a very unhealthy thing. Uh, scripturally, we're to, to be a family uh, in, in community together, uh, bought in together as one congregation. And then thirdly, uh, I think it's obvious in our culture that uh, anytime someone gets their feathers ruffled, they just bounce 0.2 miles down to another church. Like that is biblically the wrong way to handle conflict. And if you're on your fir- fourth church, the problem might not be the church. <laughs> the problem might be you right? So if there is conflict, please deal with the conflict, whether it's with me or with anybody. Listen, I promise you I'm going to say things that make you angry. I say stuff that makes my wife angry, right? If I can't make her happy all the time, I'm not going to make you happy all the time, right? So there's going to be things I'm saying, that dude, he's a dummy. I can't believe he said that. That's fine. Come tell me that. I'm a big boy, right? I can handle it, right? But, But here's the deal. Uh, in our culture, in our church culture, the easy thing for us is like, well, he, I didn't like how their kids program. I didn't like their preschoolers on those mats. I didn't like, it wasn't comfortable sitting in these plastic seats. I'm, we're just going to go somewhere else. And, and really, I'm, I'm saying to you, die to yourself. Be a part of a family, a community, a congregation, and give yourself to that family.
give yourself to them. That's what church is. That's how God has instituted it. It's not consumeristic. It's not selfish. It's just, I'm dying to myself. I'm going to be a part of this body. All right, let me get off that softbox. I got to move on. All right, so I'm going to spend the rest of my time pointing to this passage, uh, specifically how it points to uh, the, the rules for Passover and then pointing to the gospel uh, and, and, uh, and, and to Christ. Now, my bottom line for today is simply good news, uh, which is the, the term, what gospel means is good news. Uh, and we're going to see the gospel throughout this whole Passover instance. And I'm going to roll through some of the facts and, and, and then we're going to get through some scripture and I'm going to wrap it all up for you. So first, uh, on the 10th day of the month, they were to take one lamb for each family. Now, this word lamb could mean sheep or goat. It's kind of fascinating uh, because in Israel, a lot of times they couldn't differentiate between the sheep and the goat. They look very similar. The only way you could tell is the way their tail, if one of them them with the tail went up, one of them tail went down. So a whole other application for that, but we'll just move on. But it was was to be a a family family. meal, a family celebration. And, uh, and, and I think it's important that, yes, worship is congregational, but it's not just congregational. It's also familial. It's also in your family. So uh, at this point, they had no established priests, no established pastors. The dad was the spiritual leader of the homes. That is still true today. The, the father of the family is still the primary discipler of his family, the primary spiritual lead of his family. So fathers, you, you have to continue to take on that responsibility to lead your family spiritually. And uh, listen, I'm not just saying, I'm not I'm just stabbing you. If you need help with that, please contact me. I want to help you be better spiritual leaders of your families. I want to help you do that. And so uh, please reach out to me and, and we'll walk through that together. I don't, I'm not perfect at it by any means. Like the other night, I, I got so frustrated. My kids, I'm trying to read them this Bible story and they're not listening. I'm like, fine, I ain't reading the Bible to you ever again. Right? <laughs> and then I'm like, I can't do that. All right. You know, so I'm not perfect either, but we'll work through it together. All right. I'll tell you all the ways I've messed up and you can, you know, learn from those too. Right? Um, so also important to note here, if the family was too small to consume one lamb, they invited a neighbor. Worship is, is also inclusion of the folks around us that God has given us around us, whether it be your neighbor or your extended family or your workmates or whatever, that our worship is to be a, hey, come on in and worship. Come on in. Now, I'm a firm believer that this church time, I'm preaching to believers primarily, but it's also to be a time of, hey, those who don't know Christ, come on in. Come on in and hear the good things about Jesus. Come on in and hear the good things about Christ and the gospel. Uh, and so you can see that going on here. And uh, then they were told to get uh, a year old lamb without blemish on the 10th and keep it to the 14th, which was presumably the, the lunar calendar. Uh, and they were to, to slaughter the lamb at, at twilight or sunset, take the blood and put it on the door frames and eat the flesh that night. Uh, then they were to roast it. Now they're not supposed to uh, uh, eat it raw or boil it. Praise the Lord, the invention of barbecue. This is great. Um, he's a good God. He's a good God. And, and so he, he tells them to eat it all. They, they've got to eat, uh, eat it all. And then the, they're to eat bread that hadn't had time to rise to signify them having to go quickly. Uh, and then some herbs, uh, some bitter herbs, which were to represent the, 
tears, the bitter tears that the Israelites had been crying out to God for over 400 years. And many, many things I read this week uh, link this and when Jesus is on the cross and they give him the wine mixed with gall, the bitter gall, uh, that this was a signification of, of this part of the, of the Passover, which I thought was kind of cool. Um, and then they were uh, to take all the leftovers and burn them on the fire. I think the only thing significant about this is that they were prone to um, worship idols. And so uh, there would be no option to take some, you know, some leftover lamb and be like, yeah, look how special this leftover lamb is or whatever. No, they had to get rid of all of it uh, just because their, their hearts were prone to worship uh, crazy false idols. Um, and so, uh, and then they were to eat with their, with, in, in haste. There's to gird up their loins, put their sandals on, you know, and, and get up out of there. Now they, they'd use this phrase, gird up your loins a lot of times because these men would have the long robes, right? Have you ever seen a man run in robe? It ain't pretty, right? It's, it, you know, it's, uh, it's, uh, he hikes that thing up and he can get them little legs and kicking or whatever. Uh, but that's what they do. They, he'd hike up his robe, he'd tuck it into whatever he had going on up under here so he could hide knee it down to wherever he needed to get to. And so you gird up your loins so you'd get after it, right? Because uh, so you wouldn't trip over your robe. And that's what God is saying here. Get ready to go. Be ready. Uh, we're about to move and we're going to move very quickly and you need to uh, have your shoes on and, 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 and be ready to go. Now this again, uh, God's first institution of fast food, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Mickey D, here we go, hand, go, all right. So eat and, eat and run. Uh, that's just silly. Let's go. <laughs> let's, let's, fin let's finish out these last two verses, 12 and 13. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And, and on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Okay. So God assured Israel that he's going to judge both Egypt and their gods, uh, passing through Egypt, killing all the firstborn man and animals that did not have the covering of blood on their doorposts. And when the firstborns died in Egypt, there was a crying out. The Egyptians cried out to their false gods who could not hear them and did not hear them. And, and, and as we've said all along, these plagues have been a demonstration of who God is, his judgment, and his power. And so every one of these plagues has been God saying over Egypt, your false God is nothing. You worship the river, I can turn the river into blood. You worship the frogs, okay, I can call billions of frogs to swarm this nation. Everything you are worshiping, I created. There, I have no rivals. I'm the only one true God, and I'm continuing to show that to you. And so again, here he goes saying over Egypt, I have, I have tapped out all your gods. They are nothing to me. And they cry out in, in, in great despair to these false gods who cannot hear them, who do not hear them. They have no capacity to hear them crying out to them. They were nothing. And then in verse 13, he says the blood is a sign of his judgment passing over them. Now, this is not, they didn't earn this. 
They didn't deserve for the, the judgment of God to pass over. This is the grace of God. If you remember, if you remember, like the Israelites, like when Moses came with the first play, he starts, and he starts in on them, and then the Egyptians put more work on, on, uh, on the Israelites, and they start to grumble. Moses, why did you come here? Why did you bring this here? It's so ridiculous. We got to work this hard, right? And then, when, if you remember, fast forward a little bit, when they're freed, and they're in the wilderness, they're in the desert, and they're like, they're starting to get hungry, right? And they say, Moses, we're, we're starving out here. Why did you bring us out here to die? We wish we were still slaves because then at least then we had food to eat. And again, when they got thirsty, Moses, why did you bring us out here? And we have nothing to drink. We're going to die. We wish we were slaves again. And then God graciously, time after time, takes care of his people, continuously takes care of his people, but we can see through all this that the Israelites did not earn salvation. They did not deserve salvation. It was simply the grace and the mercy of God. It was simply God's promise to a people that he was fulfilling his promise to. God had grace on them. He had mercy on them. Now, the blood was a sign testifying that life comes from death. And it, com it comes through death. Now, th there are two words I want to teach you. The first one, uh, the blood to signify that their guilt was, 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 was taken away, was paid for. That's a word called expiation. So uh, all throughout, if, if you uh, continue on through the scriptures, they would take two sheep or goats. On one, they would put all the sins upon and, and they would sacrifice that sheep or goat as a, as a sign that he has expiated their sins. He has taken their sins, the, the nation's sins upon that, that sacrifice. They would have another goat that they would put on them the wrath that they deserve and then send it out as where we get the term scapegoat. They would send it out of, of, uh, of the, the, the camp, sent it out of the land. And so that would be the propitiation, the wrath of God resting on someone else and, and, and they would send it out. So expiation and propitiation. Expiation is the, our sin being laid on another. Propitiation is the wrath of God that our sins deserve being given to someone else. Both of those things happen in Jesus on the cross. When, when Christ goes to the cross, remember he, he was perfect without sin. The, 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 and this is why the scripture calls him pure, spotless lamb of God, right? So he goes to the cross and on the cross, it says in, in 2 Corinthians that he who knew no sin became sin for us. So all of our sin, for those who would believe in him, have faith in him, trust in him, for believers, the sin, our sins were placed upon Jesus. They were expiated to Jesus. So also, the wrath of God that we, that we deserve, that we had built up our life, every sin that we had committed, every rebellion against God, every offense against God, it just built up this wrath that, that he was storing up against us. And instead of pouring it out on us, what he did on the cross is he poured it out onto Jesus. So our, the wrath that we deserve was propitiated to Christ. This is why the believer can stand in full confidence and say, if you are saved, you are saved you, indeed. If you are free, you are free indeed. Romans 8, 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are where? 
in Christ Jesus because those who are in Christ and by being in Christ you believe, have faith, trust in Jesus. For those that are in Christ, their sins have been expiated and the propitiation, the wrath that they deserve has been propitiated to Jesus. He has taken it all. And so for the believer, we stand on the ground of praise God that he has taken our sin and taken our wrath. And we see this playing out all through the Passover. It took blood in order for us to have life. So here you have the Israelites taking a spotless lamb and they're putting that blood on their doorpost and the wrath of God is coming and, he, and he, when he sees the blood on the doorpost, he passes over that house, meaning that wrath of God does not fall there. But on the house of the Egyptians where there is no blood on the doorpost, the wrath of God falls and the firstborn is killed. This is a sign to us, a a foreshadowing of how salvation works, that the wrath of God is coming again and and, and it will come and it will only pass over the lives that have been marked by the blood of Jesus. Those lives that have been marked, they have faith and they trust and believe in what Jesus has done on the cross. They have submitted to him as Lord of their life. They have bowed their knee to Christ. Those people that have been marked by the blood of Jesus, that final wrath of God passes over them. Why? Because of their good? No, because of the good of the blood. Because of Jesus. So when God looks at you in judgment, he's either going to see you and bring full wrath or he's going to see you covered by the blood of Jesus and say, oh, that's perfect blood. That's the perfect blood of the lamb. Or he passes over you and for those who are not marked by the blood of the lamb, they will experience the full judgment and wrath of God just like the Egyptians. This entire story It's not arbitrary. It's not random events. This has been been very deliberate and intentional by God to point to the cross and to point to how men are to be saved. And we are only saved by Jesus and what he's done on the cross. We are only saved by faith and trust in him. See, the Israelites still had to take that blood and put it on their doorposts. Is your life marked by the blood of Jesus? Is your life covered by his works and righteousness? Not your own. See, a lot of times, again, we grow up in this church culture where we think that Christianity is a lot of do-gooding. If we just do good, then we'll be good to go. We'll get our spiritual gold stars and we'll be good to go. This, this uh, moralistic relativism, this behavior modification, this if I'm good, if I just don't do anything bad, if I don't mess this up too much, he'll let me in. That's not the gospel. The gospel is none of us are good enough for heaven. The only ones of us going to heaven are those that are covered by the righteousness of Jesus. Have you been marked by him? Have you been Have you come to him in faith and trust and belief? Have you fallen upon Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Have you believed in him? It's the only way to escape the wrath of God. It's the only way. So in this whole thing, there's a beautiful picture of the gospel, God slaughtering his own son so that we might be saved. Do you believe in that cross? Has your life been marked by that blood. Now I think it's also important to note 
they left in haste. They jetted out. They girded up their loins and, and they, they, they high needed out of Egypt. I think this is a great picture of how the believer should deal with their sin. Once they have been saved, they should run out away from the slavery that so entangled them. They should high step it towards Christ, towards his righteousness, towards his holiness. Once you have been redeemed, you run as fast and as far as you can away from the sin that you once loved. He gives you exodus. He, he saves you and redeems you to give you exodus out of that life of sin into a life of righteousness and holiness and peace in him, joy in him. That's what salvation is. So once we come to Christ, we gird up our loins and we go. We run from sin. We begin to turn and, and hate the sin that we once loved. We run. We go. We don't look back. Pharaoh wants to kill us still. The sin that we once loved still wants to kill us. And we have to let the Lord drown it in his sea. We have to keep running. We have to keep going. We have to keep running away from the sin that we once loved. Fight the good fight. That's what Paul says. Run the good race. Uh, one last point I, I'd like to just point out and we'll, we'll be done. The Israelites were slaves for 400 years. That's significantly longer than we have even been a country, been a nation. United States, I saw a sign at PCA, I think. Happy 240th to our nation so the Israelites had been slaves for far longer than that. So all they knew was slavery. So, so there was no asking their children, hey, buddy, what do you want to be when you grow up? No, the answer was, you're going to be a slave. You have no other options. You, your daddy was a slave. His daddy was a slave. His daddy was a slave. And his daddy was a slave. You will be slaves. There was no, no, hey, what do you dream about? What do you think about? There was nothing like that. It was just, you are going to be a slave. Now, God comes in and frees them. He doesn't free them to live however they want. That's not freedom. He frees them to live how they ought. That's freedom. He frees them from slavery to a life of worship. You see, when God frees it's not a freedom so that we can just, oh, great, we got our fire insurance. We can live like hell the rest of our days because we prayed some prayer at VBS and we're good to go. No, that's ridiculous. That's not freedom. That's still slavery. Freedom is that he takes you from the bondage that is sin and he gives you the ability to live a life that you should have lived all to begin with. A life of worship. A life of, uh, that is pleasing in the eyes of God. He frees you to live that way. That's what freedom is. If, you, if the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. The word reconciliation, God says he's reconciling us back to himself. What does that mean? That means he's bringing us back to the way we were created to be in the first place. You remember Adam and Eve walking with God in the garden in, in, in pure relationship, communication with God, Love of God, and then sin comes in and messes all that up. Well, us who were born in the sin, God is working to reconcile us back to himself, back to the way we were created to be in intimacy and relationship with him. The, way, the reason we are freed in Christ is for worship. 
That's the reason we are free to, freed in Christ. That's the reason for worship. And so today we're going to continue to celebrate what God has done in us, the freedom he has given us, and how he accomplished that freedom for us. Namely, the Passover pointing to the cross. It's in the cross that we escape the wrath of God. When we say that we are saved by God, it means that we are also saved from God. Because it's God who we offended. It's God who our sins are owed judgment. And so when we are saved, we are saved by God from God. We are saved by Jesus' blood from the wrath of God that we deserved. And so we're going to take communion in a moment. And as we do, we remember that the grace of God was poured out on us so that we could escape the wrath of God that our sins deserved. We deserved them. No one was immune. We deserved the wrath of God, but Jesus provided a way out from under that wrath. He provided a way to be passed over by the wrath of God and to be covered by his righteousness. Not our righteousness, his righteousness. And so we're gonna celebrate that. We're gonna uh, uh, examine our lives to see that we believe that by taking communion together. A couple things before we roll into it. We practice open communion, which means you do not have to be a believer of this church to take communion with us. We do ask that you are a believer. We believe it to be for believers. Uh, we believe it to be a testimony uh, by believers of the grace that they have uh, experienced from Jesus. Um, if you have, if you're not a believer, then pass it. It's not, it won't be awkward at all. Uh, I promise. I'm glad you're here. I hope you'll continue to hear the truth of the gospel. Uh, if you have children in here that are not yet believers, uh, if my son was in here, I would not let him take. And he'd ask me, Dad, why can't I take that? I was, and I will explain to him, until you have uh, trusted in Christ as your Savior, son, I'm go we're going to withhold this from you because it is for believers to uh, give great worship to Jesus for what he's done. So that's, that's kind of the parameters there. Let's pray, and then they're going to come down, and we're gonna, we'll pass, and I'll, I'll walk you through a couple other things. Father, thank you so much for the Passover and the Passover lamb that was a sign of the new covenant that it's by your body and your blood that men um, are saved by your power and your might, God. And Father, uh, as we come together to take this Passover meal together, as you did with your disciples before you went to the cross, that we take and we remember the body that was broken for us, that we take and remember the blood that was shed for us, and that we acknowledge that it is Jesus and Jesus alone that can save us. Not our good works, not our good deeds, not our church attendance, not our character, not anything, Father, except for the blood of Jesus. So we claim that truth, we acknowledge it, and we celebrate it, that you, God, in your grace, you made a way to be saved. And so, Father, I pray, God, <coughs> for those that are saved, that this would be a time of reflection, a time of repentance, and a time of celebration of all you've done and all you're doing. And for the non-believer, God, <coughs> that you would use it in their lives as a portrayal of the gospel that they would 
that they would see that you are the only way to be saved and they would come to that saving faith today. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.